So Adrian, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. First things first, man, let's just get this out of the way. How's your day going so far? Uh, it's going really good. Uh, I don't have to work on Saturdays, which is great. And I drank a beer before coming on. What is that? Schlafly, which is a St. Louis brand, summer lager. It's pretty good. Yeah. It's a little okay. out of season, but it's still good. Okay. I, I just... I've never heard of it. Of course, I've probably never heard of it. We wouldn't have those kind of drinks over here in the UK. We're a basic bunch over here. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't have Schlafly over there. That's a St. Louis brand. Uh, okay, okay. All right, all right. Well, let's get to know you then. And the origins, I guess, of Fight Back Mountain, if you wouldn't mind. So talk us through where you got started, particularly as well, your own um, background in music. Uh, yeah, so the band was started in 2017 because our rhythm guitar player, who also writes the lyrics, Angelica, she was writing a lot of songs. And my previous band that I was in, the Mondales, uh, we had just broken up. So I was seeing all the lyrics that Angelica was writing and I was like, hey, those are pretty sweet. I'm not in a band right now. Let's go ahead and write some music to that. And we eventually, I got together with Angelica who plays rhythm guitar and our drummer, who is the same drummer from the Mondales. We got together and then we eventually found a bass player. And that's how we got our start as Fightback Mountain. Hmm. Now, me in general, I've been playing guitar since about 2005, I want to say. Yeah. Maybe, maybe six, but I think it was five. And um, yeah, I've been always been playing in, like I played in a high school band and I played in the Mondales and then I played in Fightback Mountain. And I usually pick a band and I, I try and stick with it as long as I can. Okay, what was your early sort of influence? When you were young, playing in high school and stuff like that, what was your interest? Was it generally in rock or metal and the heavier side of music, or was it a wide eclectic thing that you were just kind of finding your feet in? Yeah, so um, originally, and even to this day, my biggest influences are like, you know, Green Day, Blink-182, stuff like that. But my guitar teacher, when he was teaching me how to play guitar, would he refused to teach me those because <laughs> he said they're too easy to be you know, for the most part, they're too easy to teach uh, in a guitar class. So he would teach me a lot of metal. Uh, he taught me like some songs by like Helmet and uh, Coheed and Cambria. Oh. And uh, he would also teach me classical guitar too. So I know a little bit of that. And, uh, it, but then in my, in my free time, I would, you know, learn songs by like no effects and that kind of stuff that he didn't really want to teach me because it was too easy. That's incredible. I mean, from his perspective, the likes of Cohen and Cambria and things like that, I mean, it's complex. it can be quite complex music. So it kind of makes sense. If you can learn to play that, I mean, the simple stuff, as you say, becomes a no-brainer almost. I would, yeah, I agree. At the time, I was like, man, screw you, because, you know, I just want to learn, like, the rock show and all that. But, uh, you know, in the long run, I think it worked out. How did you... Um... So you, you played with the drummer previously, Angelica, your rhythm guitarist. How did you, how did you guys meet? Um, so we met in um, 2007. Uh, we went to like a rock and roll summer camp together. Um, 
which is a, a strange sort of thing, but it was called Camp Jam. Ooh. And uh, I don't know if it was St. Louis exclusive or what. It, it was probably U.S. exclusive, but I'm not sure about that. And um, essentially, it was a rock and roll like summer camp program. So you would go and they would um, introduce you to other students and they would ask you what kind of music you listen to. And they would try and place you with people who listen to the same kind of music as you. So I, um, I got placed with Angelica and um, we met there and uh, we, we had a band at the summer camp, which is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to form a band and then play a concert at the end of the week or whatever. Uh, and we did that. And then we just kind of hit it off and we've been dating since 2007. So it's oh, been a okay. long you're, time. Yeah. You're a couple. I understand. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I realize that. No, that's cool. That's cool. So the, the last year or so specifically, the pandemic, how much of an effect has the pandemic period had on you both personally and with the band? Yeah. So personally, um, it had a pretty big effect on me. Uh, I'm kind of an extroverted person. I like to go out. I like to go to shows. Obviously, for a long time, that was not the case. Now it's sort of starting to, some shows happen, some shows still get canceled. It's it's really up in the air at this point. But for the band, we had to cancel, um, like a lot of bands, we had to cancel a tour that we were supposed to play in 2020. Um, our album that's coming out now, uh, next week, or I don't know when this is going to be live, but it's coming out October 15th. Um, that was supposed to come out last year. Um, and the, the recording sessions got pushed back and, um, yeah, it's had a big effect on us. We've had to cancel a lot of shows. We had to cancel a show with the band pairs. Who's really good. Um, we had to cancel a show with the band agent orange from the 90 or eighties rather. Um, so we had to cancel some big shows and we also, you know, had to cancel a tour, but in the long run, it was actually kind of good because, um, we got to write new songs for the album that was supposed to come out last year. Hmm. And we got to practice the songs that we were going to record last year a lot more too. So um, we ended up having a lot better time um, with the album and being a lot happier with the album because we had like an extra six months of practice. And yeah. Every, almost every artist, the band we speak to uh, from the biggest to the smallest have said, pretty much the same thing in regards to the pandemic, which is the extra time it's given them sometimes to perfect or twiddle or work on an album that they never would have got. Clearly the same as you said just with yourselves. Do you think then as things and when, or if they get back to some form of normality, how, how that worked for you is something you'd wanna to continue to do in the future? Take more time? I think so. Um, I think back in the day uh, you had to, put out an album like every year or every other year. I mean, if you look at just using, cause I mentioned them already Green Day as an example, they released an album in 94, 95, 97, 2000, you know, they, they churned them out. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, if you look at um, a lot of bands like that in the nineties and in the eighties, uh, they had to like put out an album every year and some of them were better than others. Um, now, nowadays I think, um, you can release an album every couple of years and then maybe throw a single out there to keep people engaged with the music, maybe throw some B-sides up on Spotify, something like that. Um, and I think that that is better um, because I think it is better to spend more time and actually um, have more time to flesh out the album that you're working on. I think that is better. 
I hope it does work out that way. It does sort of feel like as things do get back to some form of normalcy, everyone kind of slip back into the old way of doing things, particularly with the desperation and the need to get out and play shows. I don't know what it's like in your area, but in the UK, the gig calendar is jam-packed for the next nine months as everyone's delayed shows and cancelled shows are just trying to find space now. Yeah, that's that's also true here. Um, uh, I'm in St. Louis, Missouri, um, which is right in the middle. <laughs> right in the middle of the Midwest. Uh, some people think it's Southern. Some people think it's Midwestern. It's, it's a debate, open debate. But um, yeah, around here, um, a lot of venues were closed. Um, so there's only like, there's like two or three, maybe three or four big venues that like big touring bands can play at. And then in terms of like smaller bands, like local bands, indie bands, smaller touring bands, there's like two or three venues that you can play at in the city of St. Louis, it used to be before the pandemic, it was like five or six. Yeah. So it really did kind of, uh, in a way it kind of cold the herd because a lot of the venues were closed that they probably would have closed eventually anyway, mm. but it definitely was a big catalyst for making sure that that happened a lot sooner. And it is kind of a bummer because if you're in a smaller band like us, like you're kind of playing at the same venue over and over again. Um, yeah. Less venues, less choice. Yeah, exactly. So you guys think you've ridden the wave and come out the other side stronger. And if what, 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 if anything, do you think helped get you through this period? Um, definitely the other members of the band, I think. Um, you know, having us all be on the same terms in terms of like, until we get the vaccines, we're going to practice with masks on. That was a big thing. And it was like, it kind of sucked for me, the vocalist, but I was like willing to deal with it because it's better to do practice um, and be safe about it than not. Um, and, you know, just being like, you know, this week we're not feeling up to it or this week we're going to have a longer practice because we need to make up for lost time. Uh, we've got pretty good communication as a band. And I think that's probably the only reason like we didn't break up <laughs> because we were able to keep communicating through the whole thing. And we were able to work together. I think if there was like a big disagreement, like if somebody's like, no, I'm not going to, wear a mask or whatever while right. vaccines that would have been a big sticking point um so thankfully that wasn't the case and i think that really helped us get through it did did you ever find yourself taking into account that uh, you are in exactly the same position as the biggest bands in the world in regards to not being able to play not being able to communicate potentially not being able to practice i realize of course space and stuff like what would have been a massive difference but every single band in the world has been in some way affected by this in a similar fashion. Yeah, it is kind of trippy to think about, um, you know, I'm wearing a quicksand shirt. Uh, they're in the same boat where they they put an out an album this year because they had a bunch of time to work on it. Uh, and they are, I mean, I think they're going on tour now, um, but they, you know, they had to probably had to cancel a tour. They probably had to push back an album. Mm -hmm. This album that came out this year is supposed to probably supposed to come out in 2020. Um, yeah, it is kind of trippy to think about that. Um, you being like, yeah, you know, it does the the virus doesn't really care <laughs> if you're in uh, Fleetwood Mac or uh, Fight Back Mountain or like some porno grind band that has like five listeners on Spotify a year. It doesn't really matter. It's all the same thing. So it is. It's been an incredible sort of period of events. Of course, new album. We'll get to that in a little bit. But first things first, nominations time. Right. So. How much of a gamer are you? 
Oh, I'm a big gamer. I actually on our on our Instagram when I do the stories, I say "What up, gamers?" sometimes because uh, I'm kind of known for that in the area. Um, so I would say I'm a pretty big gamer. Before we get into nominations, then I'll ask. I want to ask about the history of that. Is this something that grows from childhood? Are you a kind of person that's gone through the consoles up and up and along the way? Uh, yes, I I definitely am that kind of person, and I've actually um, I've actually made a couple of video games in my in my time uh, on RPG Maker, if you know what that is. Incredible, incredible. Would would we know your games? Would we know them? Uh, probably not, <laughs> but I made a game last year, uh, again, pandemic. I had a lot of extra time, uh, and I made a game called trash planet. Uh, it's free. It's on itch.io, um, which I'm sure you know what that is, but mm -hmm. if people don't know, it's basically like the band camp for indie games, kind of, that's a good um, way to describe it. Yeah. And, um, it's free on there. It's called trash planet. Uh, you can check it out. So, okay. That's cool. That's cool. So what's your earliest memories, earliest memory of playing a video game? Earliest memory playing a video game, my dad actually uh, owned a Sega Genesis. I don't think he owns it anymore, but he owned a Sega Genesis and he would play um, Sonic. Yep. Yeah. And uh, what was the, it had a really gross name. Toe Jam and Earl? Oh, Toe Jam and Earl. Okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was it. And uh, some, some random hockey game. He would play those on the Genesis. So that's probably my earliest memory. Ah, uh, yeah, the old Mega Drive. We call it the Mega Drive. It's given them the name Mega Drive in the uh, European countries. Oh, really? Countries. Yeah, yes. That's pretty good. Very I good. like that better, actually. <laughs> and what about now? Like, what, what do you predominantly find yourself playing these days? Are you a PC guy? Are you on the Xbox, PlayStation, Switch? Um, so I own a PlayStation 4, but I basically only use it for ne like Netflix and stuff. Occasionally, I'll play games on it. Hmm. Um, I have a Switch. I mostly play that. Um, I like a lot of retro games and I used to have a really big retro game collection, but I sold it because it was worth a lot of money. Oh, for sure. Because uh, the prices went crazy in the, over the last year and a half. Um, so I actually sold that. But a lot of the retro games you can play on the Switch if you have like their online membership. Hmm. And um, yeah, so I play a lot of those. I've played uh, Delta Room Chapter 2, which came out a couple weeks ago. Um, it's the new game by Toby Fox who made Undertale. He's uh, releasing it in chapters. So I played that. And then I'm going to be playing the, can I curse? No, oh, yeah, of course. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. I, I don't know. It's always different. No, nope. uh, I'm going to be playing the ever loving shit out of uh, Shin Megami Tensei five. When that comes out, <laughs> I can't freaking wait for that to come out. That is going to be so sweet. Uh, Shin Megami Tensei is, you know, it's related to the persona games, but um, yeah. The Shin Megami Tensei ones are like a little bit less anime, a little bit more like biblical and weird. Uh, I'm super excited for that. That's Switch exclusive, I think, for mm -hmm. some reason. Um, it, that's one of those series that goes from being PS exclusive to Nintendo exclusive. I don't really know why. Uh. Um, but uh, other than that, I play a lot of MTG, uh, Magic the Gathering. Um, I used to play in person, but that's kind of got kneecapped. So I play MTG Arena, which is the online version of that. So basically, you 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 have a lot to waste your time with, I guess. I do. Yeah, <laughs> I have a lot of hobbies. That's yes. for sure. It keeps me that's, from going crazy. That's awesome, though. So narrowing it down to three games, effectively, I don't know if you'd want to call me your three favorite or three that you feel you could spend time with again on the desert island. This should be interesting. 
Hit us with them then, your first one. First one uh, is my favorite game. It's definitely Earthbound. Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness me. That's that's a deep dive. Yeah, I like that one. Um, that's my favorite game. It definitely influenced me a lot when uh, on the games that I made. Um, and yeah, I could play that game over and over and over again. It'd be, and there's a lot to... There's a lot to discover in there too, I think. So I think that would be my number one. It's interesting how like probably in the last, I don't know how long, maybe the last decade or so that it kind of got, because when it was first released back in the day, it didn't really translate brilliantly over in in the in the uh, Western side of the world. Yeah, nobody liked it mm. when it came out. All right, your second. Uh, second, and this is a little bit of a cheat, but um, my second would be the... Um, delta rune whenever he finishes all the chapters because right now it's at two but each chapter has been like six hours long and i think there's supposed to be like five or like six or seven chapters or something so when that comes out that's gonna be great and um the game has multiple different ways you can play it like you can kill all the enemies you can kill none of the enemies and there's different endings and branching pathways and stuff so that would be a great game to have on a desert island because you could actually have enough time to get all the different endings and stuff. Yeah, it's interesting. As you said, of course, it comes from the guy that's responsible for Undertale. For those that have played Undertale, which is quite a few people, um, what is it about this that, is it quite similar in style? Like, are you, because I don't know the game. Yeah, uh, it looks similar. Um, The art style is definitely very similar. It's definitely the same people working on it. Mm. Uh, And some of the characters are reminiscent, but Undertale is like a standalone thing. It's like a, 10 hour long game maybe less uh delta rune is like a is like a multi-chapter like a way bigger story uh once it gets to you know its completion and all the chapters are out i think it'll be uh just as good if not better than undertale but um yeah undertale is you know really really good and uh if you like undertale then you probably would like the new one that he's making too so you've enjoyed, you've enjoyed what you played up to uh, so far of it yeah it's great it's great. It's fantastic. I, it's funny. It's got like some heart to it, uh, a lot of heart to it. And uh, that's the kind of stuff that I like. So. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. That's cool. Oh, yeah. So are you you're more of a story person? You want to kind of be drawn into a world and exist in it, that sort of thing? Uh, yeah. I like, um, I like stories, characters, world building. All mm-hmm. that stuff's like really important to me personally. So okay. not as much. Like I can put up with crappy gameplay. Yeah, it, yeah. It means that the story and the characters are really good. No, I completely agree. I feel exactly the same. Like uh, Deadly Premonition is one of my uh, all-time favorite games purely because of its story and characters more than its actual crappy gameplay. Yeah, isn't that one notorious for bad gameplay? Famous for it. You either <laughs> It seems like you either despise it or you adore it. There's no in between. Right. All right, your third choice then. Uh, my third choice would be the game uh, Near Automata, which is a PS4 game. I think it's probably on the PC too. Uh, mainly because uh, I don't have the time to beat it. <laughs> and I I really want to. Uh, I've beat like one or two of the like 80 million different endings you can get to it. I want to beat it. I don't have time to do it. So if I was on a desert island, I could actually beat that game and be like, finally, I beat this game. And uh, I've wanted to play it for so long. But I mean, the, the first ending or whatever, because it's one of those games where you you get the first ending that's you're not even close to being done right you got to do all the endings i don't have time for that unfortunately Mm -hmm. and i really wish that i did uh 
if it came out, I think it came out in like 2017. If it had come out in 2007, yeah, I would have had more than enough time to do it. But nowadays, I just don't have the time. That's it. I think any a lot of a lot of grown adults who grew up with gaming and then now live lives, do jobs, do other hobbies and stuff like that. You just want to play. You want to play, but you just don't have the time. And they release here's another forty to fifty hour open world epic, and you're just like, I haven't got the time to do this. Yeah, yeah, that's why I like games nowadays that are a little bit shorter. Like, mm-hmm. give me, give me in and out in like seven hours, and just do it. So, considering that, then obviously you already kind of mentioned as well, indie games and smaller games like that are, are predominantly your jam, right? Yeah. Um, what? Other than, I guess, the ones you've mentioned already, could you point out a couple that you're like, listen, people, go play these. No one knows about them. You should check them out. Yeah, um, definitely. Um, well, people know about this one, but I would definitely go seek out uh, Doki Doki Literature Club. That's a really good game. Uh, warning, uh, it's got trigger warnings on it. Take them seriously. Uh, it's pretty messed up. Right. <laughs> like if you are have any sort of history with like self-harm or anything like that well i feel bad for you that's horrible uh don't play that uh take the trigger warnings very seriously but uh if that doesn't bother you then play it it's a great psychological horror game Mm. that looks like a cutesy wootsy (laughs) dating sim but it's not it gets really really messed up um that's a perfect one that one is like five or six hours long if especially if you're fast at reading Yep. Um, then you'll be able to beat it really quickly because it's just all text. Basically, it's a dating sim. It's a visual novel. Yeah. Um, so um, that one I would definitely recommend. And then another game that I would recommend um, that I don't think a lot of people have played is an RPG maker game, which is my thing, called Space Funeral. Uh, it takes one hour to beat, <laughs> and it is very, very funny. Yeah. It will, make, it will guaranteed make you laugh um it's sort of the precursor because it, it came out a really long time ago like 2008 or something oh wow it's the precursor to a lot of these like weird indie games now that are just kind of like weird for the sake of being weird it's one of those but it was like really really uh integral to the to the genre yeah it originated that nobody knows yeah it's definitely influential only to people that make games <laughs> The only people that like Space Funeral have made games, and that's it. <laughs> I have to ask then, if you weren't in a band and you weren't doing uh, what you're doing in your life, would video game development have been or would be a dream job? Yeah, definitely. If I wasn't in a band and I didn't have my uh, my big boy job, I probably would have went to school for game development. Yeah, I think so. Well, but, or, had, or had just done that. I mean, you don't have to go to school for it, but... I, had, I would have put all my chips in that basket as opposed to just doing it as a hobby if I didn't have the other things going on. Well, similar to how like music changed and that you can, you can put, make an album, you can make a band with one person in your bedroom and put out great, great music, development of games, as you said yourself, you call it a hobby, but over periods of time, you know, I guess the hope is that you create something that might connect with a wider audience, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. If I could make a game that people liked, like, uh 25 percent as much as undertale i'd be like mission accomplished oh yeah or maybe maybe 10 percent. i don't know maybe 25 <laughs> is too high but uh but yeah that would be great um you know because i'm the kind of person where i have to have a lot of stuff to do and wow. thankfully i i do um 
but if I don't have enough stuff to do, I start, I start breaking down up here. So I need to uh, mentally, I pointed to my head for the audio listeners. So I need to have a lot of stuff to keep me busy. And, and I do thankfully. So, but I've kind of honed in on uh, my, my real life job, music stuff, game stuff. Cause it's important if you're like me, not to like, Oh, I'm going to do this hobby and then quit. And then I'm going to do this and then quit. Like you got to hone in on certain things. Uh, and those are kind of the three things that I've honed in on. That's fair. That's fair. That's cool. All right. We'll go back to the band. Now you're about to release your second album, Lavender Sky, as you see yourself 15th of October, which is the time recording should be in a few days time. Cause this should be up by the start of the week. When cool. did, see this, this is something you've already said. You've been effectively sitting on for quite a while. When did work first start on this record? Did it pretty much immediately kick off? after the first album uh yeah actually it started um during the first album technically because our our song that's on the new album uh we also released it as a single it's called fatima uh, it just passed up a thousand plays on spotify so thank you very much to everybody who listened to that that just happened today awesome. uh, the um that song was actually supposed to be on our first one ah um but the first album we it was already like 13 songs or whatever it was already kind of long and we didn't have the song quite complete. Like we probably could have recorded like a demo of it, but we decided let's just wait until whatever we do next to put that one on there. So Fatima was the first song um, and it was, you know, written in 2019 or 2018. So I guess technically the album, we started working on it then when we made that song. And back then, so from that song, and what were what came, what else came for the album? What what goals, if any, did you kind of set yourselves? Were you were you conscious that look, we don't just want to do part two of our debut, but we've also got this specific sound? Did you do a lot of experimentation? Was it that sort of thing? Yeah. So one goal was we definitely wanted to do um, the recording. We wanted to do it track by track. Uh-huh. So with our first album, we actually recorded all of that live. Uh, so that's a live recording, but we went over and did the backup. So it's all the music is, is live. And then I went over and recorded the vocals over it. Um, and it, I think it sounds cool, but it's definitely got that, like it, you know, it sounds like, you know, a little bit like a band that's playing it live. Right. Um, some of the, the tempos aren't necessarily consistent all the way through the song and stuff like that. Um, now the, the benefit of recording it live is it was re- way cheaper. Uh, but for this one, we were like, you know, let's kick up the production value. Let's spend a little bit more money. Let's do it track by track. So we used a metronome. We recorded all the drums and then all the bass and then all the guitars, all the vocals, and then all the extra stuff. And you can definitely hear it um, because it's got more of like a tightened studio kind of sound to it, which is what we were going for. Oh, you sound pretty satisfied with that end result then. Uh, yeah, I like it. I like it. I think it came out really good. So what sort of things inspired you or you find yourself focused on when it came to writing? Um, so when it comes to writing, uh, Angelica actually writes all the lyrics mm-hmm. uh, and she mostly goes off of um, personal experiences, uh, observations. Uh, we, we try not to write like too many political songs, but there's a couple that have like those kind of overtones. Hard to um, you know, St. Louis is an interesting city because it's got like a lot of problems like a lot of them and uh, you know so some of the songs are about that and then you know she uh like like everybody in the band and most creative struggles with certain types of mental illness so a lot of stuff was about that too like self-confidence issues anxiety depression 
Mm -hmm. uh, and those kind of things, a lot of bands write about them, but that's because uh, they resonate with a lot of people. So um, that's kind of what we focus on with the with the lyrics, or at least what she focuses on. No, that's fair. You're right. It's not like it's not about being unique in regards to writing. You can be a cannibal corpse and write about the nastiest <laughs> shit in the world. Or these days, you want to almost be more open. Do you sort of see it as a way to connect with an audience? Uh, I think so. Yeah, um, the audience when we when we when we play, it's you know some people say that like the lyrics are the best part for them, mm. which I think is is cool. Uh, even though I didn't write them. I think that that's cool that people think that. Do you feel comfortable uh, or did it take you a little while to feel comfortable singing the, the those lyrics? Um, so it's a little bit uncomfortable at first when it's like really personal, hmm. but honestly it's worth it because I don't like writing lyrics. Oh, really? <laughs> and I, I get like, I'm like, this is dumb. And I'll like scrap a song that might be decent and there might be something salvageable there. Whereas with, with her lyrics, she gives me like a notebook of just a bunch of stuff and I edit it into songs. Uh, so I'll take one song and I'll edit it. And then maybe there's a part from this song over here that works. So uh, in that regard, it's, it's easier because I can, instead of having to come, it up, come up with all of it myself, I can edit it. And um, that's just more comfortable for me because I don't really like writing lyrics. No, it's completely fair. No, no worries. Um, compared to its inception, the album, and now, how different do you feel the end product is? So like when you first got ideas for songs at the beginning, you had that first song and the end result. Um, yeah, it's a lot different because at first we were actually only gonna do an EP. We were gonna do like five or six. Mm. Uh, and then when the pandemic hit, we were like, you know what, let's go back in the studio and do like six or seven more have 12 songs in the album and then a B-side that is exclusive to Bandcamp. So we recorded 13 songs for the album, 12 of them made the cut. Um, but yeah, it was originally going to be a five or six song EP. So it definitely changed a lot over the course of the, the period of time. And I think it works better as an album personally, Yeah. Uh, but I'm a person who likes albums more than EPs. Oh yeah. Agreed on that. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Sorry. So all good. Horror movies. Are you much of a horror movie fan? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm a big horror movie fan. In fact, the record store that it's called the Record Space that's helping us put out the the album in St. Louis. Uh, they sell records, but they also have a back room where they like have a like a video store in the back room. That's like kind of makes it. It's it's called I think it's called TRS Video is what he calls it, and it looks kind of like an old school like you know, blockbuster or like a CD video store kind of in the back. Incredible. Incredible. It's really cool. What's your earliest memory of a, of a horror movie? Oh, uh, I, well, I definitely, I don't know if this counts, mm. <laughs> but I definitely read all the goosebump books when I was a kid. Absolutely. I mean, that's close. Uh, but the first like big boy horror movie that I ever watched was uh, Poltergeist and it scared the living fuck out of me absolutely the, the clown and the tree and the the i don't know why i mean i know the clown and the it gets most people but the closet that like sucks you into it i did not like that that scared me a lot <laughs> i think it was one of those things where a babysitter put it on tv and then fell asleep you know uh so oh, what like, age do you reckon you were then do you remember i must have been six or seven <laughs> probably yeah it was young yeah yeah 
that's too young to watch poltergeist <laughs> absolutely but um, if i'm not mistaken mm -hmm. i think poltergeist is rated pg i think it is i think it was at the time i think i don't in this country it might be a 12 these days a 12 but um yeah so in the united states we have g pg pg 13 r and then like nc17 which i think like i don't know I, I watched a documentary and they used to call those like video nasties or something correct That's me right, if I'm yeah wrong. yep but um over where you are but um pg-13 in the united states is relatively new um it was made in the late 80s which i think was before or it would have came after poltergeist was before they had pg-13 i of think of course of course uh, and yeah. that was because of gremlins uh was yeah yeah gremlins was rated pg but they put a gremlin in a blender and they kill a dog and like, they like throw buzz saws at people and stuff. And they're, they're drinking, you know, Lord's so, uh, out a window. Yeah. Yeah. There's, it's a pretty uh, brutal movie to be rated PG. You know, it's not R it's not R material, but it's not PG either. So they had to come up with something. So they came up with PG 13, but I think what happened was babysitter didn't realize she sees a movie Oh, you know, PG puts it on. Yeah, and it's not <laughs> nowadays. Poltergeist would be PG thirteen or R rated, I think. Yeah, I think it's got um easily got enough to well scare anyway. Um, yeah. what 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 what's uh, a more recent horror movie that you've watched that you'd love to rave about and tell like people go check this one out? Um, let's see. So, I don't know if this is a positive review, but I uh, I watched that movie Malignant. Oh yeah. Uh, I thought it was really dumb, but really enjoyable. So I would say if you've got HBO Max and you can watch it for free, go check that one out. It's really dumb, uh, but it's really fun at the same time. Uh, it's been out for a little bit now, but I don't want to spoil it. But at a point in the movie, it just stops being a horror movie altogether and just turns into like The Crow, like a <laughs> 90s edgy, like action movie type deal. Uh, yeah. Go go watch that. It's really it's really goofy. Uh, I think that's a glowing as long as you're not as long as you're not watching it like this is the most serious movie ever. I'm gonna very you know analyze this. You're not gonna like it, hmm. but if you're watching it like this is dumb and I'm gonna enjoy it. You probably will. There's nothing wrong with an un an unchain your brain movie. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, is that a uh, critter behind you? Oh, this guy. It is indeed. It's from the movie Critters. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, you must be a fan of turn your brain off type material. At least oh, a little bit. Far too much. Watch way too much horror. Yeah, so, me too. Well, then, three movies should be easy for you then. Let's see what you've got. Okay. Three movies. Uh, Desert Island movies. These yeah. ones will probably be my favorite ones. Um, I picked a couple for the I picked at least one that's not my favorite, but it's one that I really want to play. So for favorite, we'll do horror movies, favorite movies uh, for my desert Island movies. Mm. Um, Houseu or house, the 1970s Japanese movie. Uh, it was released. Uh, nobody really knew about it until it was released on the criterion collection. Okay. That is a really good horror movie. It's my favorite movie of all time. It's really trippy. It's Japanese. Um, it's really weird. I don't really know how to describe it other than that. There's a piano that eats people. Um, there's a, like an evil cat. 
uh, ghosts. It's a house that kills people. I mean, you really can't go wrong. It's it's great. I would watch it. It's only like an hour and 20 minutes long too. So it's not like, it's not going to waste too much of your time. But uh, house slash house do whatever. Go check that one out. It's that's That's definitely my favorite movie of all time. I'll admit I've never heard of it. I've never heard of that. That sounds like something I'll be watching tonight. You need to watch it as soon as humanly possible. Uh, basically, the premise is that uh, it's a it's kind of a parody of, but it's not. Uh, I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna ruin it if I try and explain it. But it's one of those movies that it it looks like it's one thing, but then it's not. Uh, that's all. That's all I'm gonna say. I I can't I can't do it justice. You just gotta watch it. I'll watch it and then I'll post about it on socials and tag you in it. <laughs> Please do. Uh, you'll probably be like, what the fuck? At least three times. I think. <laughs> uh, awesome. My second favorite movie um, is My Cousin Vinny, oh. um, which is a great film. Uh, this has not come up somehow yet, but my big boy job is that I'm an attorney. Mm. Believe it or not. I'm a game designer wow. band attorney guy. Like I said, Incredible. I like to be busy. Um, so that keeps me busy. Uh, specifically, I'm a criminal defense attorney. So I do, um, when somebody's charged with a crime, uh, they need an attorney, they hire, if they hire my law firm, there's a chance that I'll be handling their case. Mm. So um, my cousin Vinny is about a criminal defense attorney uh, who doesn't really know what he's doing. Uh, you know, and I feel like I do know what I'm doing, but I also get that imposter syndrome sometimes where I feel like I connect with uh, Joe Pesci's character in that movie a lot. Um, because, you know, as a band guy, that's a lawyer, you know, I'll, I'll be at a bar just like dressed the way I am now with my uh, band shirt on and my jeans. And I'll be like, yeah, I'm an attorney. And they'll be like, what? what? You're, you're not, you're not wearing a suit. You're not rich. <laughs> And I'm like, well, not every attorney wears a suit. Not every attorney is rich. Although I always wear a suit when I go to court, of course. <laughs> but it's not glued to my skin forever. So that's something that uh, I take a lot of, uh, I appreciate. I take a lot of, uh, you know, guidance from that movie. Because it's about a guy who, you know, he kind of doesn't know what he's doing. But then he figures it out. And then he, he does it. Uh, and also, you know, he's a short Italian guy like me. So kind of makes sense it's incredible incredible that uh, as you said we haven't mentioned it yet but that it is your big boy job your day job as it well what a perception you must you must get a little bit of joy out of uh, surprising people when you drop that because you surprised me i do yeah i won't lie i definitely do uh because <laughs> i've got a kind of you know i'm 29 but i kind of look younger and uh, especially you know the way i'm dressed like you know people just kind of assume them in my early 20s uh and all that but when i'm actually an attorney in my attorney uniform yeah i um i definitely look the part but when i'm just out and about on a daily basis i definitely don't and i do kind of like uh in a, in a way i kind of like surprising people but i also kind of wish just like people would know <laughs> at the yeah same. yeah because i've definitely had people like show me your bar card uh, you know the the bar is like yeah. for lawyers in the united states um and then I do, and they're like, oh, you are an yeah. attorney. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it's in court all week. So it's just one of those perception things. You say you picture a certain age, a certain look, a certain style, and presume, oh, what you're wearing a snapback cap as if you'd be wearing a snapback cap in the court. 
yeah, I don't show up to court with like a Slipknot tee on and I'm like, your honor, (laughs) I don't do that. They would kick you out actually. Um, And and I actually talk about that in my cousin Vinny, when he shows up in like a leather jacket and he gets found in contempt of court. Now, I don't think they would contempt of court you. That's pretty extreme. That's kind of a Hollywood version of that, but they would probably tell you to leave and change your clothes. So long story short, I'm an attorney, my cousin Vinny. It's a great movie. I would pick that as my other one. Awesome. All right. Your last one then. All right. Uh, last one. My third favorite movie. It's another comedy. Uh, it's Hot Fuzz. And I'm not oh. just saying that because you're British. I actually, it's like my third favorite movie. I love that movie. Uh, I like all of Edgar Wright's movies. Um, I'm really stoked for his new one that is coming out, which looks kind of creepy. Uh, it's called like One Night in Soho or something like that. That's right. Yeah. 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 Uh, I thought it was just going to be one of, you know, it was, I thought it was gonna be like baby driver or something. And I saw the trailer and it, it looked like a horror movie. And I was like, fuck yeah, dude, can't wait for that. Um, but hot fuzz is my favorite uh, one of his. And it's like, it's up there. It's probably my third favorite movie. Uh, I love everything about it. It's great. Um, the twist is awesome. It's funny throughout the editing is really choppy. Um, I like that. Uh, uh, Simon Pegg or yeah, that's the guy's name is like the perfect cop. Yep. You know, to a fault. It's great. Uh, just love everything about that movie. Uh, it's really clever. Every time you watch that movie, you notice something new, mm. like, um, like, you know, last time I watched it, there's that lady in the beginning that's trying to do a crossword and Simon Pegg's character is like fascist or whatever. And then they comes up later on in the big gunfight at the end of the movie just stuff like that that you don't really notice and it's just it's great movie uh highly recommend it if you if you've only seen Shaun of the Dead or uh oh excuse me uh, my phone rang there if you've only seen Shaun of the Dead or um you know uh, Scott Pilgrim or Baby Driver definitely go check out Hot Fuzz it's great yeah you're not pandering to me um because I'm not British I'm Irish people don't know that oh really secret yeah well I'm sorry for assuming that you were British oh that's all right well you would wouldn't you when you hear me speak because that's been the country too long um (laughs) but no I mean it's a great it's a great choice as well uh I always find it fascinating talking to someone uh who's not perhaps aware of British culture British life and the perception that might be seen in films. You know how British people are portrayed often in certain movies, particularly Hollywood movies. Yeah, um, they're usually like in a village, <laughs> like yeah. a tiny little village and they're just like quaint. Yeah. But Hot Fuzz does a great representation, not just of the city life of London, where I currently live, um, but also the quiet village life that you might go, all right, maybe not the level that that movie goes to, but it's <laughs> certainly uh, quite uh, familiar. Yeah, and I love the twist. I mean, it's been out for forever. So, but I love the twist where, uh, you know, Simon Pegg thinks there's this big conspiracy and all this, and they just they just want to win the stupid like award, <laughs> and he thinks that there's this big like conspiracy mm-hmm. and that this guy's killing him for money and like there's this highway and all this other stuff, but they're just like, no, we we killed that guy because he's annoying. Yes, <laughs> it's great. Uh, that it's so true. It's so true. Like a lot of people assume that there's this big like conspiracy behind a lot of stuff. That's a big thing nowadays. Uh, but, and at the end of the day, it's just, it's, you know, the world is dumb and uh, it's usually just dumb reasons behind things, you know? That's it. Yeah. yeah. Wrong. All right. Um, go back to the band then. What is the most fun thing for you about being in Fightback Mountain? Uh, definitely the most fun thing is uh, getting to play the shows. Yeah. Um, 
which, you know, is a nowadays uh, we've been playing a, about a, one show a month, which is great uh, since June. And, uh, you know, I do get super nervous before all the shows. I think that's pretty normal, but I do really like playing the shows because it's, it's very gratifying. And I like seeing people in real life and, you know, getting out there and playing the shows. When the, during the height of the pandemic and when things were closed and all that, I don't know if it was occurring in your city where you are, but at least in this country, it happened for a while, which was something kind of like where it was socially distant shows where people were sitting down at pre-booked tables and drinks were bought to them and stuff like that with a very smaller capacity. Was anything like that happening where you were? Um, they tried to do that, but it didn't really work out. Um, they eventually, in St. Louis, they eventually didn't do that anymore. I think the problem was it's hard to make money that way because you'd have to charge an insane amount for the tickets and the drinks and stuff like that. Uh, um, so I know that in St. Louis, they they tried that, but it didn't really stick. Yeah, it, 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 it kind of went for a little while over here uh, up until like last year, winter time. And then a similar thing, venues just couldn't really afford to open at 25% capacity, you know? Yeah, and that's a, yeah. And especially when, smaller venues are operating on the margins mm. in good times <laughs> they're like just barely in the black in good yep. times you know um yeah okay well that's the fun thing then i gotta ask as well what's the least what's the what is the least fun thing about being in fightback mountain uh i don't like doing the promotion <laughs> i don't like promoting bands and stuff or my own band and stuff like that so i actually i actually just paid somebody to do it uh who uh, his name is Wes Hoffman. He's in a band. I think he's the one that set up this interview. Mm -hmm. uh, he does uh, promo stuff like as his like real job, big boy job, whatever, daytime job. Uh, but he's also in a band that's really good. You should check him out, Wes Hoffman and Friends. Um, but yeah, I, I can't stand doing it. So I, I, nowadays I'm just like, the album is too big of a deal for me to blow off the promotion. I'm just going to have uh, him, him and other people do it. So I just pay people to do it now. If you're not liking it, we've been sitting here coming up to an hour. So you've been doing pretty well. And <laughs> to throw in a little bit of extra plug, yes, go check out the interview that we did with Wes on our channel as well. So we are, we do know him. Do you think then you're well tuned into the modern pressures of being in a band? Now I'm talking things like streaming numbers, social media presence, a constant demand to be putting something out there. Yeah, I'm pretty well tuned into it. Uh, maybe too much. I check that Spotify for artists thing too much. I think yeah. I check it more than I check Facebook, honestly. Is it something you enjoy or is it just a necessary evil? It's a necessary evil. If I had my, if I was omniscient, I would transport our band back to 1991 in a heartbeat. Uh, and I don't think we would have to change our sound that much either. Mm -hmm. um, but I would, uh, I would, uh, it's definitely a necessary evil. You know, you can't really, you can't really operate as a band without it. I mean, even a big band like tool had to go on streaming. They, they rejected it for the longest time, but eventually they went on streaming and, you know, and then released their new album that came out, I think like 2018 or something. Uh, and it was, you know, on streaming. Uh, so even a big band like tool can't do it, uh, with people that love them and hang up blacklight posters and listen to them and like talk about how deep they are and stuff. If they can't do it, then nobody can, I don't think, uh, resist the, the streaming and the social media stuff. I, you you got to do it. I mean, 
if you're in a smaller band and you just that's it, you just do it for fun and you just play locally and you're totally fine with that, that's cool. But if you've got some ambition uh, in terms of you want people to hear it in other places, you got to do it. Yeah, that's it. It's 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 a necessity. You're pushing against the tide if you're trying to do anything differently, and you eventually will run out of energy and just get washed away. Correct. Okay. Last nominations, although there is a secret one and I'll get to that at the end, uh, but that's that. Albums. So this is music. Anything you want from the world of music. As a musician, I'm sure you've got a wide and varied taste. We talk a lot about it at the start. What three albums would you take then? Three albums. Mm-hmm. Um, I would take, number one, I would take American Idiot by Green Day. Uh, first album I ever bought. It's long, it's very enjoyable all the way through, and it's got a story to it. So you could kind of, cl- if you were on an island, you could kind of close your eyes and pretend like it's a movie. So it's kind of like an, a cheat way of getting a fourth movie. Uh, yeah, I really like that album. Uh, it holds up. Uh, it was the first album I ever bought. And, um, you know, no amount, no amount of uh, people making fun of me will ever make me not like it. So I would bring it. It's fascinating that uh, over time, and I don't know if it's because certain tracks were overplayed to a certain degree, but the rejection of that album, considering obviously it's wildly successful. Good God. Yes. That's yes. a successful album. But the kind of pushback and that you almost, people try to shame you because you happen to like songs in it or the album overall. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, that's a scene stir thing, right? I mean, there's always going to be people that are douchebags and say like that their music taste is better than yours and all that, which is a fallacy. But um but yeah, I think it was mostly because like Wake Me Up When September Ends was like all over the radio all, all the time. And uh, Boulevard of Broken Dreams was like that. But um, in the context of the album, both of those songs are pretty good. Now, if you hear them on the radio, maybe it's a little annoying uh, all the time. But in the context of the album, they're both really good. Um, and aside from the singles, there's like Jesus of Suburbia, which is like a nine minute long song, which is great. Um, there's a lot of songs like that. Letter Bomb is a very influential song for our band. Um, yeah, and I mean, you just got to look past the overplayed singles, but there's a lot of things like that, you know, like the Black Album by Metallica, which isn't one of my three, <laughs> but that's got like a lot of good songs on it. But it also, you know, if you if you don't like Enter Sandman and that's the only song you hear, then you're going to assume that the album is bad. No, I completely agree. Uh, we do a we do a series on a YouTube channel called Track by Track, where we randomly choose an al- album and basically talk through tracks in every single track. And the idea is to try and choose ones that we've never really heard a given time. And a recent one was Nickelback Silver Side Up, an album I've never listened to in full, but obviously extremely aware of because of a certain single. Right. Which was the one off that? Um, how you remind me? Um, yeah. So like dreading it because of that but ended up being quite a fun experience because of all this other music around it i'd never heard before because i just avoided it because of that damn single (laughs) yeah i mean that yeah 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 it's definitely a thing where um one single if it's overplayed can can make or break uh people's perception later on of an album for sure and sometimes it's warranted and sometimes it's not and in the case of american idiot i think it's not warranted i think the album as a whole is really good no, I agree. I agree with you on that. Um, okay, second choice. Uh, second choice. Uh, I would bring with me. Ooh. I would bring with me Dear You by Jawbreaker. That okay. is a great album. Uh, Jawbreaker, very, very influential for our band. Um, kind of pioneered the, um, 
the pop punk plus emo mix. They're, you know, they're poppier than Fugazi. They're poppier than like Rites of Spring, which is like 80s kind of emo. But, um, but yeah, they're great. Um, I love all their albums, but Dear You, it was actually the one, it was the one album they made on a major label. And uh, they broke up immediately after they put it out. But uh, <laughs> I think they got kind of chewed up and spit out by the music industry a little bit on that one. Right. But it was 1995 or six, like every band was getting signed to a major. Um, so, but that album is really good. It was one another one of those ones where at the time people thought it was really bad. Um, but this one's actually aged very well. People say that DRU is like one of their best albums, if not their best now. Uh, and it's also one of those albums that's got a lot to take in. Uh, it's, you know, pretty long. Uh, all the songs are great. Um, and I, I just don't think I could be on an island without it. I think I would need it. It came out at a fascinating time. Uh, what, the slow death of grunge, the arrival of new metal. It wasn't exactly a great time for music. Yeah, it was a weird. It was definitely post um, post Kurt Cobain dying. Mm. Um, you know, so that had a big impact on on a lot of things, and but especially like rock music for sure. Um, and yeah, I think it was right before new metal. Uh, it, it was definitely before ska was a thing for like if a it, year. If it had come out like mid mid noughties, it would have fallen into that perfect sort of pop punk emo phase, and it probably would have uh, blown up on that. Yeah, if it had come out two or three years earlier, it would have been good. It if it was in 94, I think it would have done better. But if, if memory serves me right, uh, right I think DRU uh, came out in um, 96. Um, oh, it actually came out in 1995, but it was oh. like the end of the year. But if it had came out like in 94, along with Dookie, Punk and Drublek by No Effects, Smash by The Offspring, yeah. it would have been right up there with those. Yeah, it's about to run headfirst into corn and the rise of that kind of music. <laughs> right, yeah. And just people were kind of moving past it at that point. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. All right, your last one. Hmm, the last one. Um, I think my last one would probably have to be um, All Roy's Revenge by All, which is an offshoot of The Descendants. Um it's always been a really, really good album. Uh, I've always really liked it. The I named that one because the guitar player for the Descendants slash All uh, in that period of time from the late '80s to now they switched a couple times. Yeah. But their guitar player Stephen Egerton is my favorite guitar player ever. He's a total badass. Uh, he uses a guitar with no knobs. <laughs> uh, he ha he has one pedal, that's a tuning pedal. Uh -huh. and plays it straight distorted all the way through. And he's like a classically trained guitar player. So his guitar parts are really weird um, when they need to be. And then when they don't need to be, they're not. Uh, he's definitely my favorite guitar player. Um, and All Roy's Revenge is a great album. Um, uh, the lead singer uh, in that iteration of the band is, uh, I don't know him in, in real life or anything, but he's got a really good like neurotic kind of all over the place writing style. And his vocals are great. and you, you pair that with the uh, with the excellent guitar playing. It's always been one of my favorites and a big influence on me as a guitar player. So if I was on this desert island uh, and I wanted to learn something on guitar that's a little bit more difficult, I would definitely go to that one for sure. 
all of these three albums and these three specific bands, it's fair to say that not just had an influence on you, but had an influence on the band, Fight Back Mountain up to this point, yeah? Yes, definitely, for sure. Awesome. Right, last question then before we get to the secret nomination. Talk us through some of your plans for the remainder of 2021 and into 2022, if you have any, and I realize is a lot of it is wait and see. Right. Yeah, well, what's not wait and see is our album is definitely coming out October 15th. That'll be on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, everything on that date. We also have a record release show. So on the 16th, if you happen to be in St. Louis, it's going to be on October 16th at the record space. Check the Instagram. Uh, We also have a show in November. I believe it's November the 8th, (laughs) but check the Instagram. Uh, We're playing with a touring band called Arms Aloft. Uh, and a touring band called The Slow Death, both of which are very good. Uh, and then we don't have a show for December announced yet, but we are going to be doing one. Um, so stay tuned for that. And then moving onward, whenever it seems to be safe to do so, we're going to schedule a tour and we're going to try and do at least a three or four city tour in 2022. That's our goal. We'll see if it happens. That's that's it. Simple goals are important at this particular stage. Oh, It's a little bit of hyperbole so to speak where would you if you could play anywhere in the world where would you like to uh i think i would want to play at red rocks in colorado i think that's where that is i don't know it just seems like a really cool place red rocks yeah and we were there was me expecting to say europe and the uk (laughs) america (laughs) yeah no i would want to play in red rocks it seems cool have you ever looked have you ever seen that place no, you gotta, go, you gotta Google it sometime. It's in like a canyon, and like the sound is like all open air, and it's like bouncing all around, all over the place. Yeah, I know. Like, uh, I know some like classic rock bands and stuff have played there over the years, and uh, the sound is supposed to be unbeatable because of the natural like echo and all that stuff. I would love to play there. It just seems like Fight Back Mountain at Red Rocks. It's it is like a mountain. <laughs> like you can't beat that. Uh, and if I had to pick somewhere that wasn't in the United States, I'd probably just say, I don't, I'm not, I don't know the venues over there, but I'd say diff- I would want to play somewhere in Japan. I think. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Have you ever been to Japan considering, you know, you, you've got interest in it? No, I wish uh, I'd like to, at some point, I think uh, I'm going to try and plan a trip over there maybe in 2022 or three, but yeah, I haven't been there myself. Awesome. Okay. So the secret nomination is a bonus item and effectively what it is, one thing, one thing that you think you can't live without. Now, most musicians obviously want to take an instrument, but most then go out of their way to avoid saying a musical instrument. <laughs> what have you got? Okay. Uh, now I have a, I have a rules question Yeah. for you, the boss. Um, can I bring a communication device <laughs> I mean, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. The only rule I should have said, the only rule we've said about this we've had to put in was it can't be another person or a pet. Okay. Um, but it can be a device that I use to talk to people, right? Yeah, yeah. We've had to give people internet. We've had to give them uh, everything. It's uh, it's not so much an island. There's, a, there's an island that anymore. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I'm not going to pick, in the spirit of the desert island, like the movie Castaway, I'm not going to pick my computer and just be like, man, I just call somebody (laughs) to get me off the island. So if I had to pick something that's not one of those, I would definitely, and it's not like, you know, obviously if I'm bringing albums, I need to have a way to listen to them. Mm. Uh, So assuming that I also have a CD player and all that, uh, I think I would pick 
um, the biggest, fattest criminal law book I could find because I've always wanted to know more about that. And obviously I do it. (laughs) So I know quite a bit about it, but there's so much case law and regulations and rules. And there's so much to like Supreme court decisions to read no matter what, if you're a lawyer, you can't know everything. Mm. Uh, And it requires a lot of research uh, and a lot of expertise. If I was on a desert Island, I would bring that because I feel like I could read all of it finally. Yeah, really get into it. And I guess read, uh, say, read up about these sort of case things, studies and stuff like that have happened in the past that perhaps you're not aware of. My God, yeah, that would be a, it'd be a yeah. dry read, but if, considering it's your uh, passion and job, you'd uh, at least get fun out of it. I would, I would like it. Yeah. Yeah. Those criminal law textbooks, I mean, just any law textbook is huge. And, you know, they assign you like, 50 pages of reading a day, which thankfully I'm all done with that. I graduated in 2018, awesome. but uh, you know, you, you got to read 30 pages or 50 in a day. You're, you're just kind of like, no. <laughs> I did it. I read it, whatever. <laughs> but uh, I got the notes from somebody else. But if I had infinite time or, you know, at least time until I was dead, which would hopefully be a while, uh, I would definitely read uh, a criminal law book. I would just find like, the biggest one <laughs> at like 5,000 pages, 10,000 pages. And I would just get really into that. Yeah. It's the most unique item anyone has ever chosen in this series. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear it. But then if I was ever lifted off the Island somehow, I would be a gene. I would be a, a, the best criminal law lawyer ever. I'd be like Phoenix. I'd be like Phoenix, Wright. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who has the same job as me, by the way, he does <laughs> a criminal defense attorney. Now it doesn't work anything like that at all. Uh, that's not how the rules work. It's not real. It's so fake. Uh, you can't like put somebody on the stand and flip it. And now they're the murderer. And then they go to that's just no yeah. surprise, surprise evidence. That's not real. Uh, all, all kinds of problems with it. But I love those games because they're fun. And it's fun that he's kind of like a super powered attorney guy, even though he's kind of like a dork mm. or a, a kind of a ditz sometimes, but he's got like this um, genius element to him. And I would definitely bring a criminal law book with me so I could be like that, but in real life. There you go. We're going to wrap this up now. Just as a reminder, Lavender Sky, October 15th, 2021. Fight Back Mountain second album. Do check it out. Bandcamp, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, you name it, wherever the hell you find your music, you will be able to find this album. Adrian, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much for watching. You can check us out on gbhbell.com as well as on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr. Go to Patreon to help us out over there. That's patreon.com forward slash GBHBL as well as Big Cartel where you can find some of our merchandise. We have a podcast running on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. And of course, if you like this video, do us a favor, hit the subscribe button and help the channel grow. Games, horror and heavy metal. What else is life for?